0: Uh, do you remember? Is it might start? Yeah.
1: I'm pretty sure I started last time. Okay. Pretty sure.
0: All right. Well, this is uh, this is while why no starting over because I <laughs> forgot what we were doing.
1: <laughs> You're gonna keep this in, aren't you? This is this is maybe I'll cut it and put it at the end.
0: Mm. You know, it's just. Or for you the could just hards. forget it ever happened.
1: Uh, you know, there are a couple options that I like I'll keep that in one. mind. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the podcast, Why Did You Read That?, with Peter. Hello. And me, I'm Megan. Hello. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) And we get together about once a month and talk about books, is basically it, and why we read them.
1: Megan stayed up very late working on that intro.
0: (laughs) I'm a professional.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so we get together, we talk about, well, we each bring four books to the table. Yep. And then you pick two of mine that you... Uh, want to hear about or you know would mind less hearing about and then I do the same for you yeah. so we hear about two of each in depth yep and then we hear about the other two in shallows
0: mm. I mean sometimes
1: <laughs> yeah sometimes the, sometimes the shallow about the ones same. get covered about the same yeah because you're excited to talk about something and then you're like yeah I wish Megan would have picked that one Or you don't really realize until you start going that you're like, I have things to say about this book.
0: Yeah, I think it's that
1: one. Turns out.
0: We just just get
1: going. But also, it really kicks off with a joke. That's correct.
0: It does kick off with a joke. Are you ready? I am ready. What's the best way to carve wood?
1: This is so weird. I was just looking at a thing about, well, I guess it was about sanding, but (laughs) woodworking. (laughs) Okay best way to car i don't know whittle by whittle oh okay Mm, yeah okay i'll accept it
0: got a big thumbs up from my office (laughs) mate
1: big thumbs up i mean it's sort of funny because i feel like i'm the person who gives the least reaction to these jokes Mm because every like my partner cassie hears them and she loves them you know and it's like next time we record she's just gonna have to be in the room and so it'll... we can get some laughter Yeah So then you get the Wait, 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 wait Oh Alright, let's do it again
0: Okay uh, What's the best way to carve wood, Peter?
1: I don't know, what is it?
0: Whittle by whittle Thank you, thank you <laughs> Yeah Oh, that would have been better There we go
1: I have this little sound machine. Someone got me at some point, and it's had, you know, I don't know what kind of battery is in here, but it's been running for, like, five years. Nice. And then it has a a drum roll, but it's, like, way too long. Mm. The horn at the end is too long.
0: Yeah. Well, and if you're having a drum roll, you kind of need a pause so that you can do the thing that
1: requires the ta-da. Yeah, it should go drumroll, brief pause. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Okay. Well, so it's your turn to go
0: first. Yes. I have four books to discuss. I'm ready. And um, only two of them are by the same author this time.
1: Are any of them by Elona Andrews? Yes. Two of them? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But only two. For those who didn't listen, the reason I'm laughing is because last time... uh, Four of four books were by Alona Andrews. It's true. And so this is a 50% reduction. Yes. I'm concerned. Have you fallen out of love with Alona
0: Andrews? <laughs> no, I simply read some other things and had options this time.
1: <laughs> All right, I'm ready. <laughs>
0: okay. Uh, so my first book is actually something I'm listening to on audio mm. uh, Blitz by Daniel O'Malley, which mm-hmm. is the brand new book number three in the Shakay series. Okay. Uh, Then I have Magic Bites by (laughs) Ilona (laughs) Andrews, which is the first book in the Kate Daniels series. Okay. Then I have a book called Not That Duke by Eloisa James, which is a historical romance.
1: Eloisa James.
0: Eloisa James. Okay. Finally, I have Sweep of the Blade by Ilona Andrews. Which is part of her innkeeper chronicle or I should say their innkeeper Chronicle series, and it is the reason I picked that one is because you can kind of read it independently.
1: Okay. Um, well, just before anything else, I really like the title, "Not That Duke," because yeah. that sounds to me like a certain era of Disney Channel movie yeah. was titled that. Catch that kid. <laughs> You know, stuff like that. Those, like, sort of imperative, I don't know. Yeah. Is it, like, not that duke? Like, it's like, oh, he's not that duke. Or is it more like, oh, not that duke?
0: Uh, not really either, but closer to the second
1: one. Okay. I would say. Oh, not that duke.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> more like, you know, you need to marry well, but you don't want to marry that duke. Mm. Yeah.
1: Or yeah, I guess another option could be like, dude, don't be that duke.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nobody nobody likes that no Duke. No one
1: wants to hang out with that Duke. <laughs> um I wanna I wanna hear about Blitz by Daniel O'Malley. But nice. this is like the third in a series right it is so you can give us some background on one and two
0: i can but i'll also say that this is the kind of series that i think you could read any of the books on their own okay and be fine um i actually read book number two stiletto first and didn't have any trouble interesting
1: so i was trying to remember there was some book that i did that long ago and read part two before i read part one and didn't even realize it Mm -hmm. until i was reading part one Mm -hmm. and then oh okay it was this series. There was a guy named Greg Rucka. He wrote this series of kind of thriller books, mm-hmm. and they were called Finder, Keeper, um, stuff like that. Although right. he didn't do Loser Weeper, but whatever. But Keeper came before Finder, and so you know, I guess just I sort of picked it up and yeah, you and made they, assumptions based on the rhyme. Yep, and they didn't make like a big thing of it being, right, part two. You know, and it it was it was okay. Like I I didn't know. Reading part two, I didn't know there was more to it. And then when part one was kind of explaining some things like the appearance of characters, like what they looked like a little bit more and some more background, I was like, this is a really weird way to do Mm. this series. And And then then you were like, oh, Oh, I'm the fool.
0: You know, I can beat that, actually. Okay. I was watching the movie Giant on DVD, the one with James Dean. Okay. And it's really, really long. So the DVD was double-sided disc. (laughs) i watched the second half first and was really
1: confused how is there not a thing that's like wait 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 if you're listening if you're watching this have you watched part one yeah that would be that would have been helpful the most valid use i could think of of like a computer generated james dean if Mm. they were like we're gonna just have him do this to be like hey if you're watching this on dvd flip it over
0: yeah I don't know. I think you could just have a, a little nice text message that says, "Yeah, flip over for part one."
1: I always get confused <laughs> on that too when it is a double sided DVD. Yeah, because I'm always like, okay, if is if I'm reading, this is side A, let's say, and I put it in the disc drive. Right. Am I watching what
0: is side A the I'm part seeing? that says side A, or is it the part underneath
1: what yeah. says side A? Because I'm like, I guess on one hand, I'm like, it should be what, if I'm looking at side A, then what I'm putting in the DVD player should be side A. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you're like, but that means the side A label is technically on side B, which doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. It's like, because a a record is -hmm. kind of the opposite, right?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I don't know either. Okay, so you could do it. (laughs) You could do it. How was Giant watching the first part?
0: (laughs) Very confusing. And then I I flipped the disc and started watching, and the credits rolled, and I was
1: like, oh. This is surprisingly experimental for a film (laughs) from this era. I didn't really think this is what James Dean was about. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah. Well, and I can tell you that I don't really remember anything about the movie, and I'm fairly certain it's because my brain couldn't make any sense of what was going on.
1: Well, I guess, you know, because you'd already seen the ending as well, so it was like you were watching, uh, you know, giant Memento style. Yeah. I was like, "Uh, I kind of know what this is going.
0: (laughs) Streaming is nice for for this exact reason.
1: It does make it a lot more difficult to mess it up. (laughs) I've done, I used to do that occasionally too with an audio book on disc. Because, you know, you'd mess up which disc you put in or something like that. And then I was like... Oh, no. When did they
0: get to this place? Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're like, oh, I must not have been listening for the last 10 minutes or something. And yeah. then then you finish disc 16 and put in disc 15. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> and it all becomes clear. Yeah. And then you're kind of like, well, do I need to listen to this? Should I just forge on to disc 17? You know, like, maybe there's something. What if there's something in here that's like super integral? Yeah. Like the introduction of like the... The person
0: who committed the murder. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I think the uh, special, the like ones I would get into this a lot are like Stephen King books. Mm. I listened to, I think the first one in the dark tower was listening to an audio book, but the overdrive audio books that I used to download oftentimes would not play in order. Hmm. um, Unless you change the files a little bit. Okay. But I discovered this way too late. So a lot of times the first track that it would play would be like disc three
0: mm-hmm. equivalent.
1: And so then it went back to disc one and whatever. And I was just like, I'm out. I yeah. can't do it.
0: <laughs> Luckily, Overdrive has
1: improved since those early days. It's gotten a lot better, yeah. yeah. But yeah, those were... Anyway, anyway uh, okay. Blitz. this is called Blitz. Blitz by, by Daniel O'Malley. O'Malley.
0: And I'm listening to it on audiobook because... Um, In order. <laughs> the narrator, Moira Quirk is actually the first person I ever listened to who I got why people like audio.
1: I know... Okay, I know who this was because she was the referee character on the show Nickelodeon Guts. Huh. And I don't know why. I don't know what her background was before that. But, yeah, it was like Mike O'Malley was... Which is weird because this is Daniel O'Malley. Mike O'Malley was an actor-comedian who was like the host but it was like they did athletic challenges. Uh-huh. I'm going to use quotes yeah. in there. But like, you know, with slime and stuff. Right. Um, but she was like the referee who explained how the games work and stuff. Huh. So that's my experience. With
0: Interesting. Her. <laughs> well, she is an excellent narrator who can do like a billion accents really well. So. Huh. Uh, which is important because there are a lot of accents in these books. People from all over the place. Okay. So this particular... So the, the idea behind the series is that there is this organization called the Shake, which is like a super secret, supernatural government agency in London. Okay. And they kind of track people who are born with magic and recruit them, or um, if they turn out to be bad people, they neutralize them.
1: Does that mean kill? Usually. Okay. <laughs> but sometimes. sometimes
0: it's impossible.
1: Sometimes you got to just dart and tag them and let them back into the wild.
0: Well, or confine them.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah. Um, A fate
1: worse than death. Well,
0: you know, some, some people are terrible and it needs to happen for the safety of everyone. <laughs> uh, so it's basically like um, like MI5, mm-hmm. but f- for people with powers. Okay. And uh, the first two books are, like, the first one is, it covers a a high-ranking official in the organization. Is this The Rook? Yes. Okay. Yeah, The Rook, followed by Stiletto, which was the first one I read and loved. Uh, And it brought me back to The Rook, which I read and loved. And, uh, no, so Blitz just came out. He he takes an awfully long time to write his books, but they also tend to be quite large. So, you, you know, you get a good amount of time with them, which is nice. This is the first one that takes place over a dual timeline. Mm. Um, so you have the World War II arm of the story, um, which is the blitz part. And then you have a modern day one. So in the World War II one, you have a it, it opens with this group of three Shakay um, operatives. And they are hovering in the skies above London during the bombing. Um, and... Things get out of hand and they end up basically taking on a German bomber and crash landing it, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which they're not supposed to do. They're not supposed to get involved in the war because there's this very ironclad rule about not bringing your supernatural stuff into war because then they'll bring their supernatural stuff and then the world burns.
1: So during the war, there's also kind of a supernatural cold war of like, well, an arms race, but not.
0: Kind of, because they're actually even—they're not even sure that like Germany has anything like the Shaqay, mm. but they don't want to chance it. They're like, if if it becomes obvious that we're like throwing all of our supernatural operatives, and they do have them, then all bets will be off.
1: Based on the Hellboy comics I've read, it seems awfully likely that if someone did have one, yeah, Nazi Germany he was would interested be interested in occult in stuff. That, that is true. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, so they bring down this uh, bomber and they weren't supposed to do it. Mm. And uh, then it becomes apparent that one member of the of the, the the plane, one Nazi, survived and either had or has come into some kind of supernatural power and is like working his way through London, killing people.
1: Oh, perfect.
0: So they have to figure out, like, do we tell the Shakai that we did this thing that could get us like in huge trouble (laughs) do we try to figure it out and solve the problem on our own
1: yeah you try and get the guy before anyone finds out what's going on so that's
0: that's half of the story yeah and then you have a modern arm of the story where this woman who is a librarian which is fun Mm -hmm. um in uh outside of london actually i forget where they live but somewhere outside of london she has a three-year-old kiddo and she's married to a cop she has a really stressful day and um uh, by the end of the day, like electricity just starts pouring from her and like she burns down her kitchen, basically. <laughs> All right. So she ends up getting recruited by the Shikei. Okay. Um, Which is super secret. So she has to lie to her family and say she has some sort of really weird degenerative disease that she has to go and get treatment for while she gets training. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's about kind
1: of... <laughs> These these two different arms of the story. Oh, some kind of disease. Some something's wrong with your with your wife it's here. So, I can't remember yeah, no what. No kidding. It
0: has a really long name, but it's yeah. one of those things that does exist, but only like one person out of like a right. hundred thousand ever gets it. So they're like I don't so know. So they set up this real charitable trust that really does help people with this with this condition, but also is like a front for for training Shakae operatives. Gotcha. So it's just, it's basically these two stories and then they
1: they converge. At yeah, some point they, they're in like some connected way. in a way. Okay. I figured they probably yeah. would, but you know.
0: And it's just super great. And I will say that you can there are like shout outs to the other books. Mm-hmm. So if you read them in order, there are these little like moments that have a little extra resonance and are a little more fun mm-hmm. if you know what's going on. But also you it won't take anything away if you don't know that like this character was in book two and it's a fun little glimpse into what she's doing now. Like,
1: so if you just started at book book three or whatever, yeah. you'd be like, you'd still know what was going on. Yeah.
0: You'd, I think you'd be fine. Okay. So you should just basically like read the descriptions for all three. And if one of them catches your attention, I'd say, go ahead and start there. That's fine. Um, but if you're if you're really like devoted to reading books in order, they're all great.
1: I thought about doing this with the movie Avatar, because I've never <laughs> seen the first Avatar.
0: Just um, jumping into bo- to yeah, the just second movie? go with
1: the second one. Although, really, I was thinking, because at some point he was talking about making like six or seven, right? Oh, yeah. Like a bunch.
0: I heard that if this one did well, they were doing like another four or five.
1: And it sounds like it did... Yeah. ...fine, I good. mean, it
0: beat Titanic as the number one box office grossing movie for a while. Uh-huh. And then Titanic had an anniversary and got re-released and it took it back. <laughs>
1: All right. Yeah, so I was like, maybe I'll start in at, like, number five. And <laughs> just be like, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, e- either this will go great, and I'll be like, yeah, I don't even need to see those other ones. Or I will be so confused. Yeah. Those came out so far apart, though. I
0: know. I saw the first one, and I remember liking it fine, but I didn't really feel an urge to go and see this one. Yeah. I felt like I, I got the gist. I'm good. Yeah. But I haven't been watching many movies lately so that's probably why
1: that's some of the some movies are like that right where it's just like this was fine but you know i wasn't like clambering for more clambering this. yeah <laughs> i think you mean clamoring? clambering
0: <laughs> clam baking
1: clam baking for more <laughs> we were i was talking about uh space jam earlier yep and i was like you know i understand that there's like a certain uh cultural love for the original space jam as sort of a I don't know, mix of nostalgia and maybe, like, you know, nostalgia goggles mixed with uh, irony of, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's fine. It's, like, fine for people to enjoy it, you know? I'm not trying to be like, hey, if that's what makes you happy, whatever. But I'm like, ah, do we really need... Was there unfinished business from Space Jam? That we need? <laughs> like, yeah. Every generation needs its own Space Jam. <laughs> I don't really think that I think we can go back to the original, right? I think the it original... That's what we need. Yeah. There's nothing about the original that's not, you know,
0: yeah. what it should be. <laughs> or, in my opinion, you go back and just watch uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and yeah. call it good. There you go. I think that was the more interesting movie.
1: Or Super Mario Brothers. There's no need for a no new one oh. just go watch the one from the 90s.
0: You know, I'm going to disagree with you on that one.
1: I was shocked, shocked to the core to learn. <laughs> I heard an interview with the guy, one of the screenwriters for it. And he kind of described... For descri- the, what, the 90s one? Yeah. Yeah. And he was basically describing what a total nightmare it was. Um, but, you know, I was very shocked to find out that He had no experience with Super Mario whatsoever. You're kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that it was like, they tried to make a movie and they wrote a script, or a different team wrote a script that was uh, a kid's movie, basically, which makes sense. Yeah. And then someone else was like, no, 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 we want this to be like a more adult, darker tone or whatever, for some reason. Because... Super
0: Mario Brothers is so well known for being, like, dark and serious. Dark and gritty?
1: Yeah. I'm like, what's the closest it gets to? There's one room in Mario 64 where there's a very scary haunted piano that <laughs> nearly made me crap myself as a kid.
0: I don't know, the the dungeon music is a little ominous.
1: Yeah, right. Bowser's kind of intense in you know, <laughs> Mario 3. Anyway, uh, I don't know why I started talking about that, but...
0: Yeah, I've lost track every of it. Every
1: culture, every generation needs its own something. They remade something that didn't need to be remade, something.
0: We were talking about something earlier today.
1: Space Jam. Space Jam. Yeah. But I
0: don't remember why you brought it up.
1: I don't know either. Okay. It doesn't really matter. Welcome to what it's like to talk. To... <laughs> I did have a question about Blitz. Because yeah. I think you'd also said something about the series being pretty funny. Yeah,
0: because... it's got um it's got a really like dry sense of humor about it. Like mm-hmm. he'll just drop these lines in the middle of a a really intense scene that just makes me like laugh. <laughs> and I can't come up with any good examples. If I if I had a very specific one, I would just like give you an example, but I I don't want to make one up because I'll never do it justice. Um but it'll you'll be in this like intense scene or You know, this woman's burning down her kitchen and she just knocked out a a firefighter and she's afraid she's going to hurt her daughter. And then all of a sudden there will be like some line about bolognese (laughs) and it just makes me laugh, (laughs) like lightens the whole thing up. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, The world building is really interesting. There's a lot is happening. Um, I just they're great books. I really like them.
1: So big books, but good pace. too. Oh, yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah, I always want to get back to them. Like, It's never like, oh, I've still got so much left. I'm like, can't wait to get back to that one.
1: Right, right. So you're like, it's one of those books where you're like, I like spending a little more time in this world as yeah. opposed to the one where you end and you're like, mm. Yeah. You know, Cormac McCarthy, as <laughs> much as I enjoyed Blood Meridian, <laughs> not exactly dying to get back into that world. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to go outside and enjoy some sunshine and some... Some breezes.
1: Uh, yeah. I feel like I need an ice cream cone or yeah. something. Like yeah. I just need to eject myself from that <laughs> frame of mind. I'm gonna spend some time at the, the Dairy Queen. Yeah, I'm gonna go pet a cat or something
0: like
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, hit me with your four. So I brought four. And I was trying to think of a theme or something. Yeah, you love a theme. I haven't really read anything that I'm like super excited to talk about. I read, like, you know, DC meets Looney Tunes, and that was pretty terrible. (laughs) The Space Jam of comics, I guess. Yeah. And I read DC versus vampires, which was actually great but i don't have much to say about it okay. cuz i'm like i mean in order to really love it you sort of have to have an appreciation for the uh, mutual admiration shared between green arrow and the flash <laughs> you mm. know it's like it's okay. already getting a little deep into
0: okay stuff. i i can see where you're coming from <laughs> with this
1: so what i decided to do instead was i picked four classics mm-hmm. I don't generally care for classics. I am aware of this. Um, These are four that I especially didn't care for. Um, Although, to some extent, it's my fault. Okay. These do all come with the caveat of, like, if you love these books, that's cool. I'm not, like, looking to be like, no, you're stupid. That's a bad book. I just, for me, it doesn't work for me. And so I brought Alternatives. (coughs) Alternatives. Um, that probably won't work for the people who really like the classics. Okay. But, you know, they you might have some like of it. the same vibes. Yeah. Okay. So the four classics I selected were Phantom of the Opera. Okay. Um, As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner. Oh, you didn't like that one. I'm no. kind of surprised. Um, oh, Phantom of the Opera is by Gaston LaRue. Okay. Good job. <laughs> uh, there's The Scarlet Letter. By Nathaniel Hawthorne. I was hoping that
0: one would be in there.
1: (laughs) And the last one is A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by some lady. Betty? Betty Smith. You got it. Very generic name. Yeah. I don't want to get into the complaints too early.
0: (laughs) (laughs) People can't help their names, you know.
1: They can. No. You can just go change it. I've considered... I have considered... Like, you know, I've lived all my life this way. I could be Peter Parker for the rest of my life. You could. If I wanted to. Do it in an
0: afternoon. Do it.
1: You could change your whole life.
0: Do it. You won't. (laughs) 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 All right. So I'm definitely going to make you talk about the Scarlet Letter, but I'm going to save it because I think it's going to be good. So let's see. I'm curious as about, about why you didn't like As I Lay Dying, because that's one that I would have thought you might enjoy.
1: Well, there's a little story behind All right, I'm what ready. happened with As I Lay Dying. So As I Lay Dying was assigned reading when mm. I was in high school.
0: Oh, yeah, that's never good.
1: That does really kill the uh, enjoyment of most books. And uh, because it was, like, assigned reading, of course, I didn't do it until I had one weekend. Right. You know, and had to read the entire thing in a weekend, which at that time in my life was, like, unbelievably not smart (laughs) of me to do. So I sat down, I started reading it, and I could not figure out what was going on in this book. I was so confused. And I just was like, I'm just going to keep plowing through you know, one of the um, one of the things that I think has sort of made it more difficult for me to get into books is like I don't have a great ability to like picture characters in mm. my head. You're not a visualization person, not at all. Okay. So, like, you know, when a movie comes out based on a book, and people are like, "Oh, that's not how I pictured Ron from Harry Potter looking like that." That never happens to me because I have no image in my head. Okay. The only time I'll have an image in my head is if I have seen the movie first. Okay. Then, you know, retroactively I'll kind of apply it. But so it makes it difficult in books that have large casts of characters. Okay. When I was reading The Hobbit, I was like, I don't know which dwarf is which. Okay. I don't know. You know? And like, you don't know your gloins from your oins? I do not. <laughs> At least, and you know, watching the movie is a little easier because I was like, okay, that's handsome dwarf, you know, that's uh rotund red beard dwarf, you know, and okay. like they, they had some visual cues to help the people like me be like, okay, you know, I, I got it, but I, I get it. They didn't want to say every time, like handsome so-and-so who, you know, just kind of looks like a handsome dude, but, um, baldy McAngry face, you know, like whatever.
0: You know, it's coming to life. I'm amazed you should have written The Hobbit.
1: <laughs> so then Baldy McAngry Face went up to uh, a <laughs> king dwarf who got warped by power or whatever and said, You've never been lesser than you are now or something. Wow. And the other dwarf was like, Whatever, bro.
0: Masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Tolkien.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know you had an experience in World War Two and it changed you or whatever. But, like, come on, man. We cut Mc this Boat down face to five. Is coming yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, Baldy McAngrydorf. <laughs> you could have just called him that. It would have been so much... Anyway. So, I'm reading As I Lay Dying, and I'm just, like... I, I thought... I was like I still don't really have a handle on it but that that wasn't unusual for me mm-hmm. to like have to read maybe 20% of a book before I kind of knew what was going on uh-huh. and could follow it. So I just kept going. Faulkner too. Like, yeah. Yikes. It's pretty dense. Yeah. And you know, it's it's flowery the writing in a, in a way. Um it's like gritty flowery, I guess. Yeah. So then you're going through and then I was probably a three quarters through this book and I was like, I still do not understand what is happening. Now this is also pre internet. Like if this had been in the post internet era, by this point I would have long ago looked this up on Wikipedia and been like, what is happening? Mm -hmm. I don't understand. And so I'm like reading. And so finally I was just like, I don't get this. Like, I don't, what am I supposed to be? What is happening? I don't understand the physical events that are happening in the book. i Just looked at the back and was reading it. I think because I was like, who blurbed this book and what did they say? Because I hate them, you know? And then it gives this little description and it's like, in chapters narrated by the different characters, this is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And And then I was like, like, oh, "Oh." (laughs) (laughs) because I was like, and I I was even to the point I was like, I get these chapters are all have different names at the beginning, you know, like the ones by narrated by cash were called cash. And so but I just thought it was like about him. I didn't realize it was from his brain. Right. And so I was like in the cash chapters I was like, I understand these the best. So when they came up, I was like, oh thank God. But then yeah, it was three quarters through the book I finally realized what was going on. Mm-hmm. But by then I was so deep into it too yeah. that I was like, I can't go back and like reconcile what's happening. Somehow I wrote a paper on it. I don't know yeah I must have written a paper about my intense confusion about it because I don't know what else I could have possibly done. so this was maybe a case of too early, yeah,
0: yeah, well, I got a too early Dickens experience that yeah. kind of ruined Dickens for me,
1: I think too. The thing is with something like as I lay dying or many classics, uh teachers, if you insist on teaching them or if you're forced to teach them, right, which let's is be honest the case for many, yeah. Uh, a little prep is appreciated. right? Like, just, you know, just, you know, kind of explain to me, like, you might get hung up on this, you know, here's what's happening. If you're reading the Iliad, there are two Ajaxes, okay? There's big and little Ajax. So <laughs> that's kind of weird and confusing, because you're like, why would you have two guys with the same name? Right. Why? That's unnecessary. Just, there's big and little You know, stuff like that. Just, like, give me a a couple pointers to help me through.
0: Well, and I believe there's research out there showing that in a classroom setting, people who watched movie adaptations of books before reading them had better understanding and retention.
1: Yeah, I believe it. Because, like, you kind of can fill in some of those. Yeah. I mean, we also in that class read The Canterbury Tales. Oh, those are, wow. Yeah. Like, in the Middle English? Yeah. Oof. There's that's an rough. entire section where a guy is basically telling a, a hilarious fart story. And I had no idea what was going yeah. on. And I had to go to class and then the teacher had to explain to the entire class, like, this is basically one long fart joke. It's like a scene from Airplane that's just about farts. You guys didn't like it? And I was like, I had no idea that yeah. that's what they were talking about.
0: I mean, I found that language challenging as a college student. <laughs>
1: You know, it like, was just so weird because the teacher was kind of like, this is hilarious. This is great stuff. And I was like,
0: mm. if you can comprehend it. Yeah. You know, that is an important part. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Like, I didn't even really understand the basic concept that it's like these different people telling these different stories. Yeah. Apparently I have a problem with that. Like understanding when it's like a rotating narration duties. <laughs> but um anyway, so I read that one and uh, hated it for that reason. So yeah. that's the one that I'm like, eh, it's not really a the book. book's fault. Yeah. It was like I came into it a little bit uh, unprepared and then also unwillingly. So that probably didn't help. Yeah. Um, so the book I'm going to recommend instead of As I Lay Dying is The Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt. Ooh, Patrick DeWitt. Um, it's got kind of a rural... Setup, I guess you might call it, um, and it's kind of these two, I guess cowboy types, and they're looking for a place to basically go find gold, and it's kind of goofy, and it has this weird sense where the narration is kind of feels kind of modern, mm-hmm. um, even though it's in old timey times, but and there's some funny stuff in it, like one of the two, it's two brothers, and their last name is sisters. And then, um, the one, the narrating brother is kind of a bigger dopey guy <laughs> and, you know, a classic Lenny, not Lenny and Carl, Lenny and, uh, George. Right. <laughs> I'm like, Lenny and Carl is Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> that was from, um, that Steinbeck. Yes. Of Mice and Men. That's it. So you've got a big, uh, gentle soul dopey guy. And then in The Sister's Brother, the younger, or the smaller, kind of more shrewd, kind of meaner guy. um, The bigger, dopier guy, like, buys a toothbrush at some point, you know, and everybody's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of, (laughs) like, brushing your teeth? What are you talking (laughs) about? But he keeps, like, kind of extolling the virtues of, like... You know, once a month it's pretty it's nice. <laughs> like, Scrape the moss off. Yeah, he's like I like it, you know. I think it's and everybody's like, Oh, you're crazy. Like um, They're
0: spitting out teeth as they say it. Yeah.
1: But anyway, it's got like um I think the setting feels similar to me, and then it's got like a very voicey narration mm-hmm. that goes with it. I think it's got a uh sort of darkness to it that goes throughout and it's not like overly dark it's not like you're watching i don't know the crow or something right oh this is dark you know it's (laughs) it's more like it's just every once in a while something happens and you're like this guy's really mean-spirited like yeah um and i i don't know i guess i just feel like that would be a much more readable book and it's more fun than as i lay dying and um yeah, I had a. I was
0: traumatized by a scene in As I Lay Dying. Really, somebody breaks a limb, and yeah. to set it, they put it uh, in concrete. Yeah. and then when they're taking the concrete off, it's yeah. stuck to the skin, and so all the skin comes off with it. Yeah, and I have never not. Oh no, mm, it was horrible. Never left you. Yeah, it's it, it's there in the middle of my brain still.
1: Yeah, and I guess I could just say, too, like... I mean, the general plot of As I Lay Dying, right, is these people go to retrieve... I think it's a woman? Uh, Or maybe it's their father. It's somebody. You know, I think it is their father. I think so, too. Like, the patriarch of the family. The family has to all go and get his body, but then they're, like, ferrying it across a pretty great distance to bring him home, basically.
0: Right, for burial.
1: Yeah. And so, but, you know, it's like... uh, a long trip through not exactly great country and mm-hmm. stuff like that, so it's kind of harrowing. And I I remember it being kind of gross in some parts, which yeah. I did enjoy. <laughs> I was like, "Well, that gives me something. <laughs> I've seen The Fly, so I understand Ew. this."
0: But... The one with Jeff Goldblum.
1: Oh yeah, Ew. good one. I love that movie.
0: I do not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, so that's um as I lay dying slash the sisters brothers. Excellent. Okay, so we did blitz, mm-hmm. so I could pick Magic Bites by Alona Andrews, mm-hmm. not that Duke by Eloisa James, or Sweep of the Blade by Alona Andrews. Yes, I kind of want to go with Sweep of the Blade. Yeah, yeah, I think that something about that title speaks to me.
0: Okay. So this is uh, in the kind of smack in the middle of the Innkeeper Chronicles, which I think... Did I... I at least touched on it in our last episode. I think
1: you talked about the first one from that series.
0: So um, this this particular book focuses on the sister of the main character of that series. So you have um, the Innkeeper of the Innkeeper Chronicles, and this is her sister, who... um, went off when she was young and married a vampire because <laughs> vampires exist
1: in this as world. We do. Yeah. They're
0: not like vampires as we know them. They're kind of an alien race that just values like um, war and battle and stuff like that.
1: Um, kind of Klingon.
0: yi don't think they look like Klingons, but but
1: in terms of culture, yeah, yeah probably. I'd love to die in battle. That's yeah, like yeah. the ultimate death.
0: Sure. <laughs> they like yeah, they they value their their prowess in in a fight
1: that sounds klingon y to me. Yeah. You know what my favorite klingon thing is in all of Star Trek? What's that? There's a time <laughs> Worf comes to the bar Ten Forward and sits down at a table and he gets prune juice. Someone sir he he it's given to him for some reason and he drinks it and he's like, "Oof, a warrior's drink." <laughs> <laughs> okay? Yep. He he has good like food moments in that show. There's a time when Riker makes breakfast in his cabin or whatever, mm-hmm. and everybody is like, "Oh my god, this is terrible!" Like, and then it cuts to Worf, and he's just scarfing it down. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, "This is delicious." <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. All right. No, that's okay. Space vampires.
0: Yes. So um, she went off and married a vampire, and has been off stage for the beginning of the books. Okay. But then at the end of the book before Clean Sweep of the Blade, I can't remember which one it was, um, her sister receives this like secret message that is very evident comes from her sister that she needs help, that she needs a pickup, basically. And that's where this book comes in. So well, that's how she gets introduced to the series. So she's now she's in the books. Um, she has a three-year-old daughter. Her husband has been killed because he was dishonorable. And she and her daughter were basically disowned from the family, and so that's why she's back on Earth with her sister, and they're in in this inn. So in the previous book, she fell in love with this other vampire, and he wants to marry her, but she feels like she got burned by the vampire world, so she's not sure she wants to do that. But it's like, she, I'm not going there again. Well, she's she she's tempted, but she's like she's a little skittish, she's a little not <laughs> So he takes her to there to his planet because remember this is like a sci-fi thing. They're okay. They're aliens. They're not like right. supernatural creatures. And while she's there, he's trying to convince her. To marry him, basically.
1: Now, she's not a vampire.
0: She is a human. Well, she's, yeah, she's basically a human. She's like okay. an innkeeper. So, so innkeepers got, like, who have an inn, or they can have some powers. Okay. Um, and while she was living with vampires, while she was married to one, she became a really excellent fighter. Okay. So she's really good at fighting and stuff like that. But
1: So, like, as a human, you can go to vampire planet and mm-hmm. you're not just going to get annihilated?
0: Well, it depends on who you are. Um, okay. Like she, if she wasn't a good fighter, she definitely would have. Okay. Because uh, basically, they're they're there for a wedding, and that it turns out is basically a ploy for this very intricate political like stuff. <laughs> like they've stumbled into some political happenings and. There, so some of the people who are on this planet for the wedding are are not there for the best of reasons, and mm. she gets attacked a few times, and they're a little surprised that she can hold her own, and okay, and that kind of thing.
1: Okay. So
0: it becomes a little bit about why is everyone who's making trouble at this wedding? Why are they there? Why are they making trouble? Um, what is their aim? And also, like, are is she going to figure it out and, and say yes to this, to this vampire?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: So, yeah. And hmm. it was just really fun. And there's, like, a good amount of romance, if you like romance. But it is just as much about, like, the political maneuvering and the <laughs> fights and the weird, you know, vampire
1: culture and planet. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. I like, I, something about Vampire Planet is just hilarious. Yeah. Like, I don't know, something about just the idea of it even is, like, very entertaining to yeah. me. But they just have their <laughs> own planet, you know? They and have
0: their own planet. <laughs> and, like, there was a werewolf planet. Yeah, sure. But um, the werewolves and the werecats fought each other, and they couldn't give it up, and so the planets got destroyed. <laughs> so, like, now they're, like wanderers in the universe. and
1: That makes sense. Yeah. I think that was always like the Star Trek thing. What never worked for me with Klingons was like, which one of them figured out faster than light space travel? Mm-hmm. Like who's building the spaceships there? Cause you know, they like any Klingon who seems to be good at that kind of thing mm-hmm. seems to be not respected in that culture. Yeah. Like they're like, all right, nerd, you know, it's like a planet that feels like it's just one long high school set of lockers and the nerds are just getting shoved into it all the time, you know? And I'm like, how does this happen? Actually, there's a theory
0: in this book that I found fascinating um, because, you know, they have all of the different cultures of all of the different, you know, planets and races Mm -hmm. that exist in this world. And every one of them kind of froze at the moment that they discovered, you know, the rest of the, the rest of the world, basically Mm -hmm. the rest of the universe. Because the reason that your culture changes is to, like, sustain itself and to, to learn the next best thing and to, like, keep advancing so that you will be successful. Mm-hmm. And that kind of pressure is removed. Like, you know, when, when you can just leave your culture if you're not happy because you can go and join, like, go to this other planet that suits you better, then that push to, like, change the culture goes away. So the culture basically just stays where it was. So, like, the vampire culture was in this very, like, medieval warrior culture when it discovered the rest of the universe. And now it never had any reason to change, and so it stays there. Whereas you have other cultures that learned later and they had gotten into like philosophy and stuff like Mm. that. And so every culture reflects the moment that it like became aware of the rest of the universe.
1: Okay. So maybe Klingons like discovered faster than light travel and then basically haven't changed a whole lot since then. Right. And so they're kind of the same as they were. And so maybe they discovered it earlier in their arc. Hmm.
0: And I, and it makes sense to me, you know, like, Because you, why would you change your culture if you, you know, there's no reason to do it because your culture is secure and safe and everyone has what they need. And if you're unhappy, you just leave.
1: I always wondered about that. Like if we discovered, let's say we discovered, you know, 10 nearby planets all with completely different species of sentient beings or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered, like, would humanity eventually become to be like one thing You know what I mean? Like one kind of creature. Uh, Like would culture sort of dissolve? We
0: would care less about, you know, people from the Southern Hemisphere versus people from the Northern Hemisphere because we're all just people from Earth.
1: Yeah. Because the context changes. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, all being from Earth. It's sort of like, you know, everybody from Colorado and Wyoming. Right. Like when you live in Colorado, you're like, oh, we're so different. Right. But somebody from Ohio is like, same. Right. Same thing. Right. Or, you know, it's, uh, people, you know, like people who live in New York City and they're like, oh, I'm from Brooklyn. And they're like, oh, I'm from, you know, Queens. Queens. Yeah. And from you know, Staten Island. And I'm like, whatever. (laughs) We're from New York. Same crap. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't care. You got your boroughs, like whatever. That's fine. Or like, uh, my brother lives in Phoenix and he's always like, oh, I have to go to work all the way over in Tempe. And like it didn't, I'd never thought anything about it. And then I finally looked it up, and I was like, "Tempe is like ten minutes from your house." <laughs> like it's like me complaining about like going to Evans for right. work, you know? And I'm like, "Oh, I work in a completely different city." And it's like, I mean, you can cross sure, the street and be yeah, there. But like <laughs> I could still go home for lunch if I wanted to. <laughs> like uh, so, I wonder if Earth would become that way. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems likely.
1: Seems possible. Over... Certainly over a long enough time. Yeah. Because, yeah, like you said, too, like, if I didn't like where I lived on Earth, for example, or I was like, I don't really like the culture of Earth, and I could just go somewhere else. Right. Because, like, right now, it's not like you have an option for that. Right. You can't go that far of, like, If the
0: people in your area have a belief that you disagree with, like, your options right now are basically change it. Yeah. Whereas... You know, if you had the ability to move somewhere that didn't have that belief, yeah, you could just do that. I
1: can just leave, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and just take the ball so and go. Hey, home.
0: I thought that was a really cool way of of conceiving about culture and the development of culture, and yeah, I thought it was an interesting moment in these books to be like, I like it. It makes sense to me
1: that is interesting. It feels star Trekky to me, which is a plus, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm putting that onto that, but here we are. I graft I graphed what I know onto what I don't know. Okay, so that was Sweep of the Blade. Sweep of the Blade. Now is that so that's the third part in that
0: You know, I forget Let me. It's not the first part. It's uh well, it's like a it's part of the entire series, but it also it's focusing on a different character and in um, in a different place than the rest of the series. Okay. So it's like it's part of the series. Sorry, my phone is not wanting to do this, but that's okay. Um, it's not the first book, and honestly, you could kind of skip it. Okay. And the rest of the series would continue to make sense. It's like this little s- step sideways in the series. Gotcha. For this um, important character, to kind of have her own moment.
1: Okay. So you could, could you read this on its own or would you not really want to?
0: I think you probably could, but I do think that you would benefit from figuring out the way the world works. Okay. There's some um, world building that happens in the early books about like, what is an innkeeper and how right. does travel between these cultures work and all of that stuff that I think you would benefit from.
1: Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Why does this lady know space karate? Exactly. For like yeah a better... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you call it.
0: How, how can this, you know, human person, like, defeat uh, in battle, uh, like, a seasoned vampire warrior?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Okay. So.
0: Yes, you know what I'm picking.
1: Uh, the Scarlet Letter? Yes. Okay. So, as I recall, The Scarlet Letter is about a lady named Hester. Mm-hmm. Hester Prynne. And she is an adulterer. So they make her wear a red letter A around. Yep. And then there's some kind of like church guy.
0: Yeah. She has a daughter.
1: She has a daughter. Named Pearl. Who's like the product of this adultery. And that's part of the whole thing. Right. And then there's some church guy who's like, goes, kind of goes back and forth between being like, ooh, what you did was bad. And then he's like, yeah, maybe it's not so bad. And then at some point, there's like a huge flaming letter A in the sky for some reason, (laughs) which is like I think meant to teach someone a lesson.
0: Yeah, they Um, didn't do subtlety. No,
1: not at all. (laughs) Um, It's it's sort of weird when you read a classic like I just found out that like um, so there's the book Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. Yes. And it's, like, this big, like, literary achievement and, like, book snobs love this, right? And I just found out that the president in that book, who's supposed to be kind of, like, a weird uh, character, is named, like, President Good Guy. Like, that's, like, his literal name in the book. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me, right? Like, (laughs) you couldn't have done any better than that. You know what I mean? Like, you couldn't even take the word for good from, like...
0: President French. Beneficence.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Like, Maleficent is a pretty wild name to name somebody because you're like, so I guess you knew what this lady was going to turn right. out like. Didn't, we're under no illusions that she was good. Yeah, but it's like, his name is like President Bud Good Guy, you know, and you're <laughs> like, okay, real oh, and nice. She's
0: known for giving you the thumbs up. I couldn't believe it when I read that.
1: <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, Scarlet Letter was kind of like that, where I was like, Nobody told me there was going to be like all of a sudden there's just like magic in this world where there's like a flaming letter A in the sky, you know, basically for this one person to see in order to teach them a lesson or something. It kind of does feel like, you know, I don't want to get too on my like uh, world literature by and about women course high horse here, uh, but it did feel also like the scarlet letter was like puts this lady through this horrible ordeal in order to teach this dude a lesson. A 100%. <laughs> and it, only to teach this one yeah. dude a lesson. She was fridged. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was weird. And you know, that's probably like looking at it with too modern of a lens because I uh, think.
0: I mean, it is, but also like, what else can you do? Like we, yeah. we read through uh, our own experiences and there's very little you can do to really change that.
1: Well, and I think the other thing that's weird about the Scarlet Letter is I, I could see why perhaps in its time it was a big deal. Right. But at this point, saying things like, you know, maybe sleeping with someone outside of your marriage isn't like a huge problem or like sleeping maybe someone that you're not married you to. Maybe it doesn't mean should die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like maybe if somebody sleeps with somebody that they're not married to, uh, you know, A, maybe it's not like if it's a man and a woman and the man is married and she you know, whatever, maybe it's not like all the ladies' fault, but be like, you know, they don't have to be a pariah for the rest of their life. Right. I mean, you might have some you might have feelings previously that aren't your (laughs) friends anymore. And that's fine. But you know, they don't need to like uh ruin your life comprehensively. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I get how at that time Maybe that was a, like, radical position of just, like, what if, like, people who are adulterers just, you know, we just kind of were, like... Don't like you much anymore. Yeah. I, You're you know, kind I'm of a not going to come to your house for Thanksgiving, but, like, whatever. Right. You know, I'm not going to, like, kick you down when right. I see you at the grocery I'm store.
0: I'm not going to, like steal your house and yeah. imprison you and take your shoes and yeah you know make you wear a hair shirt
1: and your your child has to grow up in a potato sack right or some you know street urchin because that child's the product of you know right an extramarital affair or whatever you exactly know. yeah and it's like I think that for me that just felt it felt extremely antiquated which is what it is right but I think that's why it doesn't really work for me as a book because I'm like, I think the message of this book is just too old and you have to go too far. Like I kind of get to, there's a level of like, well, you could translate it to modern issues that women face, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, you know, a woman making 80 cents on the dollar to the man is not to me on the same level. It doesn't really have the same solutions that, (laughs) that a woman being like, I don't know. Right. Basically uh, excommunicated. Well, and I would also
0: argue that you have other options, like maybe reading a modern book about women's issues, perhaps even written by gasp, a woman.
1: Well, or even just something written in the like, this millennium. Yeah. You know, like, I think there are just many versions of that.
0: Read a Margaret Margaret Atwood or an Alice Walker or, you know.
1: Well, and I think that's the other thing is, you know, part B of it is that the style that it's written in is horrible. The like, it does these parentheticals where it's like a man, comma, who was born in a shed, you know, 10 towns over. And, you know, his mother was very happy when he was born. His father, not so much. And then, you know, but his father grew to love him. And when his mother passed, they became even closer. And it was only after that. Uh, That they really discovered the true nature of their relationship, comma, goes to the store. And you're like, what happened? Like the beginning, I have to go all the way back and be like, wait, what?
0: How did the sentence begin? (laughs) Who's going to the store?
1: (laughs) This guy who had parents. Yeah. And it's like the whole book is written that way. And I don't know if that was like a, a thing back then. Maybe it was. Well,
0: my understanding, and I think I act we actually discussed this when you read this book. Yeah and um, we had this conversation blow these many moons ago. Yeah. Is that it was written to be even old timier than Hawthorne was writing in. Like right. he was purposefully writing in an antiquated way. Right. Even though he was in what we would consider a time that was writing in, in a way that we would consider antiquated right. already.
1: Like, it would be like me writing something in the style that I think people would talk, like, in the 20s. Sure. But then people are reading that 100 years from now. Right. And so then they're like, well, I'm kind of reading something 200 years old instead of 100 years old. Well, yeah, and I don't know how accurate that would be to how, you know, things were then, whatever. It just, it doesn't make for a good experience reading, in my opinion, and it just... It's so heavy-handed, too. Yeah.
0: Well, he's super long-winded. That's what I mostly remember about Hawthorne. I've never read a Hawthorne that I've enjoyed.
1: Yeah, and I think this point in my life, too, I've very much come to this thing of, like, if you have a point you want to make that's basically... That's pretty simple. If you want to be like, what if we just didn't treat people like crap because they did something maybe bad but you know yeah and kill somebody right
0: in the scheme of things it wasn't like a a mortal sin
1: yeah it wasn't that bad like what if we didn't ruin their life and i think i've run out of tolerance in my life for the novel as the delivery vehicle for a point that simple Mm. because i'm like you just made me read like 300 pages of made-up gobbledygook yeah
0: we could have had a 15 minute debate about it and gotten to the same place
1: I just talked about it for like five minutes and have made the point. You know what I mean? Like I get it. And, you know, I I think I've really lost my uh, tolerance for that Yeah, because I just feel like the novel as metaphor for delivering something so simple is just like overkill. And it's like, eh, I don't know. You know, like, okay, to talk about an example that I think works better is like uh, when you read The Lord of the Rings, right? And it's long and whatever. And kind of the end of it, the point is sort of like these hobbits went from their happy, cozy little life and they saw this larger world and then they try to return to their cozy little life and it doesn't really work. yeah You know, they can't like hang out and party with the other hobbits because they're just like... I know what's out there now, and I know that there's, like, so much nastiness out there, and, like, I know what evil hurt lurks in the hearts of, you know, whatever, and it's like, you can never go home again yeah. thing. And, like, that works better for me, because I think that's an experience that is harder to explain. Right. And it's, you kind of have to, like, live through that and see it through their eyes Right, in order to understand uh, the depth of that. Right but something of like hey what if we didn't just like be absolute jerks to people who did minor social faux pas
0: faux pas you know it's like i know what i'm you trying mean. to like
1: put this in the i'm like well i mean it's worse than you know not returning your cart to the cart corral but like <laughs> It's also not on the level of, like, some other things. Right. You know, it's not on the level of things that the Phantom does in Phantom of the Opera. Right.
0: You know, like... Yeah, you didn't, like, beat your child, which would have been more socially acceptable at the time.
1: Yeah, you didn't, like, send a chandelier crashing down on some lady's head for doing her job. She's just...
0: so obnoxious. <laughs>
1: but still, I mean, I was like, <laughs> that seems a little bit like overkill. Like, maybe you could have just like, boo, you know, I don't know, something.
0: This is a weird side note. Sure. I don't know if you were aware of this. Phantom of the Opera just closed on Broadway.
1: I heard about this. Yeah, I saw a picture of them like, loading some of the props into a truck. Yeah. Which I was like, where is that going?
0: I'm sure that the production company has, like, a warehouse and they reuse a lot of that stuff.
1: Now, do you think, uh, because my first thought of this was, like, conspiratorial. And I was like, well, do they do this and shut it down for, like, five years so that then they can re-bring it back? You know what I mean? And be like, it's back.
0: I mean, I don't think that that's a conspiracy. I think that that's how it works. Like, you you run a show, and especially these long-running shows that are really beloved... You close it knowing that eventually it's it's going to come back because people are going to miss it, you know? And so like Chicago's been running for yeah. like my entire lifetime, practically, I, I think. And if it ever closes, um, it'll be a temporary closure. I don't know for how long, but eventually it's like a tried and true show that has an audience that people love and um, someone will be like, I want to put my spin on it and we're going to bring it back.
1: I feel like Phantom of the Opera is due for a horrifying CG nightmare movie mm. like cats.
0: I mean, they've already done a movie <laughs> adaptation that didn't do super well. Yeah. I don't know. Well,
1: I, that's a separate book. Um anyway, <laughs> I think the Scarlet Letter, I just it's so it's so antiquated yeah. and I think the level of point that it's trying to make is a point that for the most part, in Western society we've adopted. Right. You know, I don't think you, uh, I, well, I wouldn't know even, you know, it's, I think most of us don't live in a small enough place now to know that kind of thing, but also it's the kind of thing that you're just like, yeah, it happens sometimes. Right. Um, so the suggestion I'm going to make for an alternative is a graphic novel called Penny Nichols, which is about a woman. I think I talked about it on here, but it's been quite a while. Okay. Um, it's basically about a woman who, uh, is like kind of floaty through life, like not sure what she wants to do. And she ends up getting involved with this, uh, crew who's like kind of making an indie movie. And so she gets like more and more involved with that and becomes kind of invested and interested and starts helping them out on the business side of things a little bit. And, Um, it just feels like sort of a story of a, uh, woman coming into her own and like enjoying her life. Right. And it's not all about, um, what like a guy's doing really. (laughs) Right. (laughs) She definitely does not exist to teach a guy something. Well, that's nice to hear. Yeah. You know, as I'm, you know. I'm thinking most women do not exist to teach a man something, but I don't I'd know like the grand to think design. That that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I would be uh I would feel very terrible for the women in my life cuz I'd be like, "Ooh, you've got some heavy lifting to do." <laughs> <laughs> you got to teach me a lesson. It's going to be real basic. But um yeah, I think for me that felt like a very modern take on feminism, which is to say, too, like, this isn't something that you're going to read and you're like, I don't know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go to the, like, Women's March or something. Right. Whatever. Like, that's not what this is. I think Penny Nichols feels to me very much like a book that's like what 2023 feminism feels like to me. That's how that book kind of feels. Okay, And it's not like badgering and berating or insulting. (laughs) Like... Right, I think the Scarlet Letter is kind of uh, chastising in a way, too. Right. Which is a little weird.
0: Maybe moralizing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Moralizing's a good term for it. Which is also a weird thing about it, because it's kind of like moralizing, but also anti-moralizing at the same time. Right. It's a mess. That book is a mess. (laughs) Throw it away. Read Penny Nichols.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Excellent.
1: All right. So... You want to tell me about your other two books?
0: I do. Uh, so we discussed Blitz by Daniel O'Malley.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um I also brought Magic Bites by Ilona Andrews, which mm-hmm. is the first in the Kate Daniels series. Mm-hmm. So this um similar to the Hidden Legacy series, this is set in like the the real world as we know it with the exception that in the Kate Daniels universe um Magic has started to kind of seeping into the world, and it comes in waves. so when <laughs> when magic hits the world, technology stops working. So, like your car stops running, your electric lights go off. You can't watch television. Like none of the tech will work. Hmm. Um but people who have magic can like light fey lanterns, and you know, they can build vehicles that run on magic and all of that stuff. So, um, and then, for as long as magic is what they call up, like you can you can use all of that stuff. and then when the magic recedes again, technology will turn back on. and oh, it's, so it's like flipping back and forth, okay. And the main character, Kate Daniels, is a mercenary who takes on jobs involving the supernatural, basically. Mm-hmm. And there have been this um, so she gets notification that her guardian has been murdered. And it clues her into a series of murders that he was investigating that she thinks might be why he was killed. And so she takes on that investigation, basically. Okay. So, yeah. I'm really enjoying it which is good because there's a lot of these so they can keep me reading.
1: (laughs) That's a weird concept. So like do the the waves come, are they like predictable or is it just very like... Yeah, just all of a sudden. Could last for a year, could be a minute, could be...
0: I don't think it's like a year, but I think that, yeah, they vary in length and they'll come out of nowhere. So you'll just be like, um, she gets home and she's doing something and she has plans to like go into the city and then magic hits and she's like, well, now she can't take her car. And so she has to like pull out this other the car that runs stick. during magic. Yeah. And...
1: <laughs> I like to imagine this was written during like a power outage. Like that's where mm-hmm. the idea came from. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I could feel, I can understand that. Cause it seems like when the power goes out, there's some weird thing where it's like, on one hand, I feel like, you know, ideas come to your head. Right. Cause you're kind of bored. Right. But on the other hand, it's like, yeah, but I can't execute any of these ideas because right. I need power. <laughs> Huh?
0: So, yeah, I like that. Okay. Yeah, it's really good. I'm I'm very much enjoying it. I have lots to go still.
1: Why Magic Bites? Why is it called that?
0: I think I'm not sure because I haven't finished it yet. I should say I'm okay. like um, halfway through it or so. Okay. I think it probably has something to do with um, with like. I, see, this is the weird. There are vampires in this world too, but they're ah. different than the vampires in Innkeeper Chronicles. <laughs> These vampires are more like what we would call zombies. Okay, so they've basically been necromanced into back into existence.
1: I like that. I like yeah. I like the vampires that are more shambling, yeah, slap in the face of God vampires yeah. than you know Twilight vampires.
0: Yeah, these are that's definitely this kind. Like, the, if there's any intelligence in that body, it's from the necromancer who was, like, quote unquote, driving the body. Or
1: gotcha. Yeah, it's like a... uh. <laughs> The, I haven't seen the show, but the movie "What We Do in the Shadows." Yeah, and they're all vampires, but they have the one vampire roommate who's like the Nosferatu yep. type, and he's like a weird. That movie is so good. It's pretty awesome. I love that movie. I've never seen the show. I've heard it's very good.
0: But... Yeah, I intend to watch it, but I haven't <laughs> been watching much TV. Really
1: good. The movie's
0: amazing, <laughs> uh, and the the scene where they like meet the werewolves. Yeah, it's really great.
1: And They're so. not werewolves. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so good. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I like I like that take on vampires. I just, I don't know, I think it's more, I think it's funnier for some reason. Yeah. I also, like, Twilight. I So I watched some Twilight with Cassie, because I was like, oh, I got sucked in, because the last one has this amazing vampire fight. And it's like, vampires are flying around and, like, decapitating each other. And this was, she was just watching it. And I, I came downstairs and it was on. And I was like, Is this what Twilight is? Because if this is what Twilight is, <laughs> I am in. And then, you know, you find out that that's all just like an yes, imagination. It no. doesn't even happen. <laughs> yeah. And like the rest of the movies, that's barely in there. Yeah. And so, you know, I got frustrated with that. But then I was also like, I don't understand what's the disadvantage of being a vampire in this world? It's like If people know you are one, they'll kill you. That's basically it. Yeah. Well, they'll try if right. they can. And, you know, it's like, oh, they seem to be doing okay. And, yeah. like, you sparkle in the sunlight. You have superpowers. And it's like, what's the advantage? The, what's the downside?
0: I mean, it sounds like the early years. I It's been a minute since I've read any of the Twilight books. But it sounds like the very early years when you're first turned, you lack a lot of control. Okay. And so you become, like, a mindless you know, source of hunger for a while.
1: I get it, but also I'm like, you know, Fantastic Four has the same problem for me. Ben Grimm the Thing is always like, I'm a monster, you know, whatever, and I'm like, but you've got to have like amazing intergalactic adventures, and you're like always in another dimension, and like, you've stopped, you know, things taking over the world dozens of times, and I'm like, you wouldn't be able to do that if you weren't a giant orange rock man. So like, Yes, you do have an unorthodox appearance, but you've led it a pretty amazing life. Right? I mean, <laughs> I don't know.
0: Um, weird side note about Twilight. Uh, there's uh, like this council of vampires yes. that comes into play. Um, they're from Volterra, and I have been there in Italy. Oh. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah,
1: it's beautiful.
0: And they are making their money. They, they advertise that they, you know, Twilight was filmed here.
1: <laughs> they're like <laughs> proud of it yeah i think that's the smart way to go i do too i always thought like in recent years i think they've changed but like the stanley hotel in estes park has always kind of like tried to Stephen king at a distance you know and i'm like you guys you're just allergic to money yeah. like what are you doing people want to go there for ghost stuff yeah. and there's the new management stuff now and, 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 and they even
0: like planted a, a maze yeah and part of me was like you should have planted you know some hedges, some of those, like, topiaries.
1: Yeah. But, but at anyway. least at least now they're like, okay, they're embracing we get it. it. Yeah. Because it's like, why are you trying to... Most hotels don't have a special thing. Right. And I think they were trying to be like, we're like a nice luxury hotel. We don't want, like, ghost hunters coming here. Well, they got them anyway. That's the thing is, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, ghost hunter money spends, yeah. man. Like, <laughs> bring them on. I don't care. Yep.
0: Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So that was Magic Bites by Alona Andrews. All right. Then we have Not That Duke by Eloisa James. And I should say this one is not out yet. It's not out until July. This is one of the okay. ones that I got sent early so I could review it for Library Journal. All right. Um, uh, so if you want to read the series, book one in the series is called How to Be a Wallflower. But the one that I've read is Not That Duke. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so you've got... Are you are you familiar with the concept of the wallflower, in like historical romance setting?
1: No, not at all. Okay,
0: so it was like
1: the guy me at a middle school dance. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it comes from that. I'm it, it's, familiar
0: with that? It's pretty similar. So the idea you have like the girls who are for whatever reason less marriageable. Okay. So um, if you have a large dowry, then you're likely to spend most of the time at a ball dancing. Um, if you're beautiful, again, you'll probably spend most of your time dancing. If you're socially awkward or poor or, you know, fill in the blank, then you're less likely to have um, people ask you to dance and you sit at the the boundaries of the of the dance floor and you become a wallflower.
1: You broke your arm. It's been in a cast for like five weeks. It smells pretty rank at that point because mm. you're a middle school boy. Wow, that's Less popular, very specific yeah. example. Just, just for example, just throwing something just, out. You know, I, you know.
0: <laughs> um, so the main character of this book is a wallflower, but primarily she has a very large dowry, um, which is getting her attention, but from people she would maybe rather not get attention from. <laughs> right. um, she is she has bright red hair. She wears glasses. Um, she's a bit of a an intellectual. And she would rather get married because she likes the person she's marrying, hmm. but is also... You
1: got bad news for you about yeah. the time period you've yeah, been born. Exactly.
0: <laughs> you know, she understands the writing's on the wall, whatever. And she has this kind of frenemy relationship with this duke who always seems to be around. And he, you know, occasionally saves her from some of her worst suitors. Oh, okay. Um, and... You know, events happen, and fairly early on in the book, they end up married. Okay. Um, And, but she, he has decided he actually is kind of obsessed with her. (laughs) But she thinks that, you know, that he would rather not be married to her because she's, you know, all of these things. And so it becomes a little bit of a, like, convincing her that, that their marriage could work kind of a thing. And it was just, it's funny and charming. Eloisa James has a really good turn of phrase um Eloisa James is actually a pen name I think it might not be but um she has a full-time day job she is a an Ivy League Shakespeare professor (laughs) (laughs) so there's some really um like funny Shakespeare references um peppered throughout this book and then like
1: writes romances as Eloisa James in her uh, time in her copious spare time like side hustle
0: yeah huh yeah okay Um, she's actually been at a convention that I went to and she's really funny and well-spoken and, um, she's great. But for whatever reason, this is the first time I've read her. So this was my first Eloisa James and I had a great time with it. It was, um, actually practically a one sitting read for me. Hmm. Like I picked it up and started reading and then I only put it down when I absolutely had to. So
1: this is like a fantasy of mine is that like every, not that Eloisa James is trashy, but like every trashy novelist is like secretly a, you know, professor at Dartmouth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're Chuck Tingle is like, right. you know, the head of Harvard's poetic arts department or yeah. something. Or like uh Carlton Mellick the Third is like, well, I just wrote uh, you know, the menstruating mall, a, a <laughs> sentient living monster mall. And uh, now I'm going to go to my job at, um, you know, as the CEO of this major. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Extremely hoity toity sort of life. And then I live, I like that double life. <laughs> yeah. This is not the
0: same thing, but it's similar. Um, there is this author, Peter Heller, mm-hmm. um, who has gotten a lot of, critical acclaim, and he's won awards, and he writes these very celebrated novels. And I saw him speak at a library conference thing, and you get this expectation because you're like, oh, Peter Heller, he writes serious literature, and you're expecting a certain thing. And then he gets up to start talking and he has this very like ski bum kind of way of talking. (laughs) And uh, he has this laugh that I cannot imitate, but it is the funniest laugh ever. And every time he laughed, it made me laugh. And I was like, I love this. I love
1: that this is who you are. This is not who I thought this was going to be. This is much better. Yeah. (laughs) That's great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was Not That Duke, out in July, and then we um, talked about Sweep of the Blade by Alona Andrews.
1: All right. Well, um, I didn't talk about Fan of the Opera. Okay. Um, I'm going to limit my complaints on that to one specific thing. Okay, I'm which ready. Which is hard, because, wow. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about a, a book that, because, you know, it was made from, it was like a serialized thing that right. was put in and it. Boy, does it feel like it. Um, There's lots of just sort of dropped plot lines and things that I'm like, I think that was supposed to go somewhere and it really didn't. Um, But my least favorite thing about it is there's this hilarious opportunity for comedy because um, there's this big theater and these two guys own it and they're selling it to these other two guys. And it's kind of like the perfect comedy setup because the new guy, the old guys are like, there's this phantom. And like, <laughs> he's going to tell you, like, I want, he has a regular box, you know, he right. has these things, he wants things the way he wants them. Sometimes he shows up, sometimes he doesn't. Just set it aside for him anyway. And the new guys are like, forget that. Like, we're not doing that. <laughs> this is stupid, you know? Right. Um, then it kind of turns into like, oh, maybe there is a phantom. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> um, and I just felt like that was a wasted opportunity for some hilarious comedy. Um, but I don't, I don't enjoy. I think the book is like a total mess. I think the plot is makes no sense. Um, everything about it is weird. I think it tries to like make you sympathetic with the phantom by the end, but you're like, I mean. I get it like being called ugly when you were a kid is probably not awesome but I don't know if I can go so far as to you crushing a lady with a chandelier being like <laughs> you know uh, eh. yeah maybe if I if we had, maybe if we'd met earlier and I'd been able to intervene before you had gone that far and you know like kidnapping a lady and holding her hostage in your basement dungeon thing you know and I'm like well
0: yeah you know
1: I, I know it's not easy to grow up being, like, not a hottie, but
0: eh. Well, see, I think it goes to play devil's advocate. <laughs> sure. It goes beyond just, like, oh, you could be better looking into, yeah. like, you're monstrous. Sure. You know, which is a little different, to be sure. fair.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm with it in as much as... I. Here's the thing. I think it would have worked better if the Phantom of the Opera was monstrous looking and was taking out the... Anger about that on the people who made his life miserable because he was monstrous looking. Sure. These are completely innocent people. They've done nothing wrong.
0: Well, they've committed crimes against music.
1: Yeah, I guess so.
0: (laughs) I have to say, I've read this book, but it's been ages. My primary familiarity is through the musical, um, which was my first real musical. I heard Music of the Night on a plane and I was like, what is this magic? And I never looked back.
1: <laughs> well, and I think the musical, I think the story reading the book almost, it almost makes more sense as a musical to me because it's kind of like melodramatic in yeah. some ways. And like, I could see the set pieces being fun. You yeah. Know, and like,
0: when they drop the chandelier, it's pretty great.
1: Yeah. And it's like, it's over the top in a way that I'm like, I think that works better in a more, uh, let's call it the more elastic reality of a musical. Okay. I think that functions better for me.
0: All right. Fair um, enough.
1: You know, like, I can't I can't read Phantom of the Opera when, like, Frankenstein is right over here. And like, Frankenstein is, so is much really better. good. <laughs> like, it makes so much more sense. I love Frankenstein. Um, so the book I, I'm going to pose as alternative is called Astro City Confessions by Kurt Busiek. This is a story of a sort of Batman-like character called the Confessor, who has sort of a Catholic theme to him, I guess, in a weird way. He takes on a sidekick, um, and as a protege kind of thing, and um, this protege is like learning how to fight crime along this very Batman-like character. But he also starts figuring out there's like more going on with the Confessor than the Confessor has confessed to. that's a character (laughs) and um it's got like a similar sort of melodrama to it it's got like a darkness to it but also a little bit of a goofiness to it in that comic booky way okay i think like a musical this sort of story works better in the more elastic reality of comics than it does in a book okay um then i did as i lay dying and recommended the sisters (laughs) brothers instead the Scarlet Letter, and I did Penny Nichols. And the last one I was going to talk about was the book A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. It's a, a bold choice that has gotten you into hot water before. Uh, yeah, Goodreads is still uh, a very mixed bag over... Because I, re- <laughs> I think the only things I really said about it, you know, were like, the tree grows slowly and in painful detail. <laughs> like, um and, yeah, I've gotten a very mixed reaction yeah. of people, people who are like, I love it. took it pretty personally. Yeah. And that's what's kind of hard about, you know, books like this is some people, it's like they love it, you know. And this is like, this is the book that they've built their reading identity around or it's the first big book that they really loved or whatever. And I totally get that. And I try to not make fun of people who enjoy reading the book. But I'm like, I mean... I'm reading this book and it's kind of like you're a little ways in and she's talking about how much a pickle costs from the, you know, store in Brooklyn and you fish it out of the barrel. But you want to get one that's like not at the bottom because those are like this, but not at the top because those are like this. You want to find just the right pick. And I was like, too much. This is too (laughs) much anachronistic detail for me. Cannot hang. And I, I understand like if... If you were looking for a sort of historical view of like what was it like to grow up as an averageish person person in Brooklyn at this time, great. I think that would be an amazing way to explore that topic, but if you're looking for just kind of an entertaining book or memoir or something like that, no. <laughs> like <laughs> it's so long and it's so detailed. And, like, I didn't even get far enough into it where there was a story happening. You know, it was just, like, things were happening. Um, So the recommendation I'm going to make instead of that is, I think I also talked about on this show, was Tenements, Towers, and Trash by Julia Wirtz. What she did is she went through New York City um, Historic Archives And she's found a bunch of buildings and she kind of has drawn and recreated what they look like in the past and Mm -hmm. then what they look like in the present and some of the things that have changed. But then they're also peppered throughout just sort of little interesting stories about New York City. Um, They tend to the quirkier side. Yeah. You know, it'll be their nonsense stories a lot of the times, you know, like this is how the corn dog was invented, something (laughs) like that. Um, I think it's more entertaining And I think it also feels um, it doesn't overstay its welcome. And a tree grows in Brooklyn way overstayed its welcome for me. And I didn't even finish it. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what the tree was. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know. Um, So I think I think that just for me, a tree grows in Brooklyn is too long, too slow. okay, And too micro detailed. But uh, tenements, towers and trash is. Also micro, but it's not quite as long and it's maybe not as personal. Okay. Which makes me feel a little bit it's it's easier for me to get into. Right. As not someone growing up in Brooklyn in that era. Right. You know. Um, not that every book has to be about me and like people like me, but I just I don't
0: that know. That particular one you just couldn't in I couldn't in hang with, with it,
1: yeah. It, it was, it's a weird one where I was like, it's not bad. Yeah. I didn't hate it. I didn't have a passionate hate. It wasn't like reading the Scarlet Letter where I was just like, kill me, right. kill me now. And I had to read it for a book club. And I was like, what are we even going to talk about in this book club? Because what can I say about this book without just going into rage? About...
0: Well, not every book is for every reader and that is fine. Like that's normal. Yeah. So. What?
1: Yeah. And it does seem like there are quite a few A Tree Grows in Brooklyn stands out there. Oh, yeah. I think that's the other good thing about this uh, Tenements, Towers, and Trash. I think if you liked A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, you will also like this. But if you didn't like it, try this one. I think you will enjoy it. Cool. So it kind of works for both. All right. I'm guessing. I don't know. I like it. As a member of only one of those parties. I mean,
0: I haven't read A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, but I am intrigued by the idea of Tenements, Towers, and Trash. It's really cool. Yeah.
1: I think it's uh, it's an enjoyable, interesting experiment. Cool. And that's it. All right. That's my four.
0: We did another eight then. Actually, more that's like
1: 12. Kind of like 12, really. Yeah. yeah. I don't know which ones I'm going to put. The ones that I talked about. You should do both. Or the other ones. Yeah, I me. Mean, oh, so much typing. You did it to yourself. Look at my poor fingers. Oh, you're fine. You actually looked <laughs> like you were going to well, see. Well, you held them out. Like, like in a
0: beseeching way. What am I going to do? Like, no, I refuse to. Look at them. <laughs> Look
1: upon my fingers and weep. Uh, yeah, no, I have right. no sympathy. You, you did it to yourself. All right. So poetry next time? No. Nope. All nope. right.
0: We're not doing that again.
1: That's a, maybe that's how we should end each of these, is being like, just to reassure you, we're not doing a poetry show next time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this you isn't know, an ironic, like, oh, and we are. Maybe switcheroo. it would have the opposite
0: effect and people would be like, well, now I kind of want to hear about poetry. And then the masses will clamor for
1: maybe. poetry. Well, if you want to clamor or clamber for poetry, <laughs> you can. <laughs> and then uh, uh, we might do it. We still might not. Cause it's it feels might like the thing you think you want, but you don't. Yeah. Based on the numbers that you've shown us, yeah, you don't. Yeah. We but know the truth. I know that that's who you think you're gonna be. You know, this is like, oh yeah, you know, every January first and the gym is crowded, and I'm like, I know that's who you want to be, but let's let's talk about who we really are. Right. Who we really are is Astro City Confessions. <laughs>
0: Uh, and a bunch of Alona Andrews. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Apparently you are really Alona Andrews fans. <laughs> Which sounds fun. Yeah. Vampire Clean I'm, On planet. I'm
0: enjoying my time. I'm not gonna lie.
1: I wish Alona Andrews had written some uh Star Trek TNG novels.
0: Well, you know, you never know what people are doing in their spare time on the internet.
1: Yeah, whoever owns that IP, Paramount? Paramount Plus? Yeah, must be. Because uh, they yeah. do the lower decks. Knock knock some of those out, give Alona Andrews a, a a jingle, just be like, hey, what do you think? Got a proposal for you, <laughs> based on a you know, third tier podcast we heard that.
0: <laughs> I will say Alona Andrews is like really stepped up the game when it comes to like author engagement with their fans. because yeah. if you go to their website, they have like regular snippets of like behind the scenes of what's going on with characters and like... Oh,
1: that's fun. Yeah.
0: Um, little serialized bits of things. Like one of the one of the novels in the Innkeeper Chronicles was published on their website serially and they kind of republished it as a book and they included all of the commentary that they'd written originally. And
1: huh. super fun. Lots of extras, huh? Yeah. I guess this is maybe the advantage of being a team. Yeah. You have a little you bit have more a... ability to do that kind of stuff. Yeah you like, we can do the thing and promote the thing. Yeah. We can do it all. And
0: I am waiting. It sounds like they have plans eventually to write more in the Hidden Legacy series, which as my first is still my favorite. <laughs> so I'm I'm waiting excitedly for developments on that front.
1: Well, hopefully four books come out around the same time. And you can bring all four to this show.
0: You never know. You never
1: know. <laughs> all right. We'll see you next time. Bye.